This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queros, Cami here. This week's episode of the podcast features the amazing Irene Two, hilarious stand-up comic. And gosh, there is a really, really beautiful end to this episode. Um, I was really, really moved by it. I've known Irene for a long time. And um, anyway, this is just a really moving conversation for me. And funny and fun, but moving. Irene's new album, We're Done Now, will be available for pre-order starting March 3rd and be released on March 25th. Find it anywhere you buy albums or at irene2.com. That's irene2.com. Just want to thank our awesome Patreon patrons like Robin Moxley, Beck, Leslie Gaditas, Chantel McClelland, Francine Balbina, Ethan Peterson, Paul Vavadowski, Rachel McIntyre, Stacey M., Courtney Carlson, Levon Suwake, Kevin Fry, Tanya Jusik, Chloe Vicker, Carrie Boland, Audrey Rohr, Bobby Delmeyer, Jamie, Katie, Gagliardo, Brenda Esposito, Danny Alcorn, Liesel Jensen, Fiona Ding, Mara Barra, Catherine Michaels, and Amy A. You are awesome. Thank you so much. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. There's awesome perks, including a chance to hang out with me and other queeros uh, once a month for a nice chat, but like a mug, cool shit. Sierra takes care of it. She's the best. Anyway, thank you so much for supporting this show and enjoy this episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. How are you? Uh, oh, wait, hang on a second. That's not how I start the show. I always have guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? That's how I start the show. Hi, I'm Irene too. I'm a stand-up comedian, and um, I guess today I'm Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we are recording this on February 1st. Yes, first day of uh, Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year. And I just asked you, I didn't even, I should have asked you when we were recording, but I asked you, like, what what is done today? And you, uh, in terms of celebration, and you, I think you gave, like, a pretty good concise description do, do you want to, to to describe it again oh yeah i mean i feel like it's pretty common knowledge that you uh yeah you just call your family and you say happy new year and then <laughs> they give you red envelopes <laughs> it's the best holiday yeah that's a great holiday i don't know why we don't have more of those here yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely and um okay so happy lunar new year Thank you for your time today because we had to of even change the recording. Um, and uh, how are you otherwise? You've had a busy, well, that's just from the outside. I have no idea what actually it feels like from the inside, but that's what it looks like from the outside. Seems like you've had a busy couple. Seems like you've had some good stuff going on. Um, yeah, I, I feel good, I guess. I mean, I feel like I'm always waffling between feeling good and then utterly depressed about the pandemic and sure doing comedy when i feel like what even is the point you know um yeah do you know have you come up with any sort of answer that you could tell me about regarding what is the point <laughs> no there <laughs> i don't know what the point is I, is there a point i mean at this point i've decided i the, i like doing comedy and i feel like i'm fairly good at it or decent funny enough people have said that i'm funny so that's good enough for me. And uh, I'm not going to cure cancer. So what else What else is there for me to do? It's well, I don't keep actually, chugging along. Actually, I don't know the question. I mean, have you had during this time, have you had any real examination of what, what else is there for me to do? I mean, um, I, I know we're giggling around and chuckling. Yes. But have you actually been in that sp space? Because I have. So I'm, I'm curious if you have it all during this time. I've thought about it, and the only other thing that I like 
like where I, I that I love is food. So I would have to go to culinary school. Right. And I don't want to go to school. But that that's the only thing where I'd be like, I would dedicate my time to like food. That is the problem. A lot of these uh what else would I like to do questions end with school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of school. Yeah. Um Okay, so it's not going to be that. Are you cooking for fun? Oh, no, I, I can't cook that well. This is a fantasy. So you're just eating. You're eating. I, <laughs> yeah, I love eating, okay? Got it. Cameron, I love eating. Yeah, and all right. I, I, want, I want to be able to make money eating food. That's, that is a job, but it has to be in volume. That's, that's. I guess I, I. So that I could exists. I could do a mukbang. Oh, yeah. Is that what you were talking about? I, I was talking about like um, professional eaters. Oh, know? well, that, it's kind of the same thing because they both eat large quantities of food in front of people. It is. A, it is. A, it is the same thing. I think one of them I read a book about it's like the it's the honestly, it's a fucking amazing book years ago, like probably 15 years ago. I pro- read a book that was called The Horseman of the Esophagus. Great title. OK, uh, already love it. Yeah, that was about competitive eaters and all of the stuff that they do because it's it's like an actual sport that one trains for with like stomach stretching and all of this other stuff that honestly is really, I think, unsettling for me to hear about or reflect on, mm-hmm. um, but that people are doing really well. I think the difference between that and like a and and a mukbang uh, vid <laughs> is that. Um, Seems like folks are going on with a little less training to make them to make them videos. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's uh, science behind the mukbangs. Yeah, not yet. No, not uh, yet. I mean, I've thought about it. I was like, what if I did like a funny mukbang? Have you really thought about what would you eat? Oh, I mean, I eat anything. So I. But suppose. like, to, but but if you're if you're eating to be oh yes to be watched, viewed yeah, what would you choose? I think I would eat foods that people think are traditionally gross oh yeah like what yeah. what foods do people think are traditionally gross i know what mine is mayonnaise oh i was thinking like <laughs> a, a whole chicken uh but that it's been killed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, not alive oh no 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 <laughs> what are we talking about <laughs> i bet like you know, like, I feel like American people think, like, eating anything other than, like, chicken breasts. Is oh, disgusting. you're talking about, um... Like, body parts. Like, like, uh, like organs. Like organs? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. What organs... What, are we talking about a heart? I mean, I, I'll, I'll, eat, like, I'll eat, like, the head. The head? You know, yeah, or, like, you know, people think chicken feet's gross. Yeah. If you eat the head, what are you eating? The brain. Like, what... Okay. Got it. The eyeball. Are you just chewing on a skull also? Yeah. You're right. That's that's badass. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that'd be fun for a mukbang, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I've just never even eaten one skull that I know of. So that's not that's probably not true. Hey, if you ever want to eat a skull, let me know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does is that uh because like you grew up eating whole whole everything parts of the chicken um i think i am actually the only one in my family that really does it so it's not why like my did mom you did it. make that choice um i don't i i always just liked it i kind of yeah. like the the taste of it and uh i like to you know if you eat something that was alive i think you just got to eat the whole thing that does sound respectful yeah um well, this is not where I thought we were going to start. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, no, comedy wise. No, why would you be? <laughs> why would you be sorry? I asked every question that got us there. Nothing to be sorry. But well, comedy wise, comedy wise, I I recorded an album. Yes. How did that go? Talk to me about where where this happened. Um, I recorded it at the Punchline in San Francisco, which is my home club. Uh, sold out. It was really fun. We only did one show, which I was nervous about because that means you can't mess up. Yeah, that's risky. Yeah. Well, that wasn't uh, what I wanted to do. That was what I was offered. 
So I was like, all right, then let's just do it. Uh, and I, it worked out. I There's only a couple things that I'm not unhappy with, but you know, when you do something slightly, uh, it'll just bother me. But nobody else is going to notice it. Yeah. And I think it's going to come out in a couple months. Is this your first? Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. I knew you when you were a fresh-born comic. You knew me at a very bad haircut stage in my life, <laughs> I think. I don't remember what it looked like. What did it look like? I just think it of was... you with this hair. Oh, thank you. Thank goodness. Um, no, I think uh, it was w- right after I'd cut my hair. So it was like this, like under my chin, Sh- maybe. Yeah. Kind of like a, yeah. almost a bob in a way. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You were a college student. Uh-huh. I think I was a sophomore in college. And I oh took your gosh. class. And you took a stand-up class that I was teaching in Chicago. Mm-hmm. God, you were st- you were a sophomore in college? Yeah, I think I was um, 19. You were 19. Yeah. 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 Um, so I met you. So I taught this, I taught this stand-up class in Chicago that was actually incredible. It was so it was such a I loved it. I had a great time teaching it because um It was great. It was super, like one thing I loved about it is that a lot of different people took it who like wanted to have a career in stand-up. And then a lot of different people took it who had already had a career and they wanted to like improve their public speaking skills or their confidence, or they just wanted like to create a network of friends. And there were so many interesting people in it. And it wasn't just for people who wanted to be a professional because there is no class that you can take to become a professional, but there is a class that I thought I could teach to help people like write their first five minutes to be mm-hmm. on stage. That was the whole goal of the thing is like get people on stage doing um, an open mic. And so you were taking this, you were one of the youngest students I think I had. And um, how, you know, I, I started doing comedy around that time. It wasn't stand up. I started doing improv college, mm-hmm. same, same time. Um, what made you think that that was where you wanted to go with your focus and your attention and all that i mean honestly i didn't know how long i was going to do it for i never really took it seriously as like a career option till like after college yeah or like you know when i started getting paid like actual amounts of money doing (laughs) stand-up instead of like a drink ticket or maybe five dollars or something right um but i mean ellen's my favorite comedian and that's kind of why i started doing stand-up and because she had started by doing stand up. So, yeah, I was like, let's just see how this goes. And uh, no one told me how to stop. So right. until somebody tells me I have to stop doing stand up, I was like, I'll just keep doing it. You know, <laughs> I had a friend, my friend Casey, who was my one of my roommates at the time, who um, there was like an improv group on campus at college and um, was very. Uh, I thought it was very cool. Because Amy Poehler had been in the group oh, cool. like 20 years prior, 10, no, 10 years prior. And she was on SNL at the time, like just breaking on SNL. So she was the coolest, you know, person in the world. And the whole, in the group, you know, there was a real sense of like, stick with us. You'll be like, that'll be you tomorrow. <laughs> right. Like it like was like a real. So um, I did an audition freshman year because I thought like, I don't think so. And uh, I started playing rugby because I was a big jock in high school, but rugby was like, you know, went to a school where it was like D1 athletics. And I, I didn't want to like, not that I wasn't like recruited, but I also didn't want to like try to walk on the swim team or something like that. So I just mm-hmm. played rugby because it was like a club sport. There were two club sports. You could do, you could do crew or you could do rugby and crew was earlier in the morning. <laughs> oh yeah. That's way too early in the morning. <laughs> and so I did rugby also because that's gay. Um, but even though I didn't know that I was gay, I was, I was just like, I feel drawn to these women in this sport. Um, nobody was out. They were just all best friends in groups of two. It was uh-huh. like a shocking experience. But anyway, so I started playing rugby and then sophomore year, my friend Casey was like, you have to audition for this improv group. Like you're the funniest person I know, like you have to do it. And ne- I never would have gone without her encouragement is the first thing. Cause I didn't have the confidence to do it. And then second of all, I played it so cool. I wanted to convey to the group that I, like, I was so nervous and I was so invested, but I wanted to, you know, I played it so cool that I actually arrived straight from rugby practice in cleats 
covered in mud <laughs> for the auditions. Like you didn't even change clothes. I didn't. Br- I did not bring a change of clothes, uh, or wipe the mud off of my body. Um, I went and like auditioned that way, and uh, and I and I did end up getting into the group, and it was like a, you know, it was how I first started having wow. any, any sense that like comedy even exists. But um, yeah, I feel like that's rare because whenever I talk to people, they're always like, oh, I like knew I wanted to do it since I was five. And I was like, watched SNL every night. And I was like, I didn't feel that way at all. You know? Are those people that you talk to often dudes that say that? Um, I feel like mostly. Yeah, I feel like I hear that less often from like women non-binary folks trans people. Like I feel like cis dude, I just feel like every cis dude I've ever talked to about comedy stand up specifically has been like, I used to watch this late night host. There's like a specific late night host that they name. I used to watch this late night host and I would stay up to watch that. And I loved it. And I like, you know, followed everything that they ever did. And then that's how I knew I wanted to do stand up. I like, it's like the same, it's like an identical story. It's the same story. And then I always feel bad because I'm like, oh, am I supposed to do this? Because I never felt that way. Well, like, here's what I'm saying though. It's like, so I'm alone in my house and I'm a child and I'm supposed to watch David Letterman and be like, <laughs> that's who I want to be. Like, it's like, how? Like, it's like, we d- he doesn't look like me. He doesn't sound like me. But also we do not share a temperament. Like, yeah. <laughs> David, we don't have, we're not the same guy. Like, there's not a big overlap, you know? And also content wise, it's like, if nobody's even talking about anything you've ever experienced, you know? So like, and then also for you to say like, Ellen's my favorite comic. I mean, somebody, you know, the women that blazed a trail don't get the same sort of like in community respect. So totally. like the first person I saw that I loved was Margaret Cho, you know, saw her when I was in college, thought she was awesome, but I didn't think that that's, what I could be because it was like, who who could be Margaret Cho? Like, she's like, how does she even exist? You know, it just felt like so opaque and impossible. Right. I don't know. Does any of that ring true for you? Does that feel, any of that, does any of that feel like your experience? Um, yeah, I also felt like when you said, does that ring true for you? I just heard like a ringing in the background and I was like, oh, wow. Oh, I'm that? actually that powerful. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was I'm, like, am I making this up right now? I was like, I'm, I literally was hearing a ringing. I mean, because where are you right now? You're in L.A.? Yeah. I'm in Vancouver, but I have set it up so that there will be sound effects um, on your side of the podcast throughout. (laughs) That only I can hear through my headphones. That's right. Yeah. Hopefully they don't make it onto the recording. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I also wasn't really allowed to watch TV. Like I only watched cartoons. Right. So my concept of comedy is only from cartoons. Uh, And (laughs) like... What yeah. cartoons are we talking about? I love loved cartoons. SpongeBob. Okay, yeah. Huge fan of SpongeBob. Rock Rocket Power is probably the reason I'm gay. I well, we're a different age. I don't even know what that is. Oh. I'm like I'm like a pretty cartoon. I'm a I'm a You never cartoon, watched Rocket Power? Cartoon head. No, I don't know what the, Oh my I don't, god. No. I've you heard got, of it. But you've got to watch it. Greatest cartoon ever made. Okay. Well, I'm going to start making some different choices obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Reggie Rocket was like the girl. She was like a tomboy. She likes sports. Maybe a closeted lesbian. She was a tomboy? Yeah. Did she, she have red like a, hair? No, she has like purple hair. I'm pretty sure. i never seen this person. I don't know this person. Oh, my God. Yeah. is <laughs> screen sharing. I've seen this person. I know who this is. Yeah. It's Reggie Rocket. Oh, my God. She's wearing like rave pants. My first girlfriend... She wore rave pants. That's what that's... It might be that. Yeah. She wore like... Do you know what I'm talking about? Rave pants that had... Is this... Are you like too young or from a different... There were these pants that had like tassels on the side. They were huge. Huge. I think that that might be before me. Yeah. Okay. They're huge legs. Huge pant legs with with like tassels on the side. And you would wear them if you were going to uh, rave. We were not going to a rave. But she wore them to class. Well, I guess Reggie Rocket has the the rave pants. That's literally what she looks like. Yes, yeah. that's 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 that looked like my first girlfriend, <laughs> <laughs> with the purple hair and everything. Well, yeah, her hair was was black, but I mean, you know, in a certain yeah. light. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I kind of just grew up with cartoons, and uh, yeah, I didn't, I literally didn't know anything about comedy besides the cartoons. Okay. 
And similar to you, I didn't know I was going to do comedy until somebody told me it was funny. Who's the person that told you you were funny? This girl that I had a crush on. See? Yeah. That's the thing. How did that, how did it, let's set the scene. I was at a summer camp in um, Chicago at the University of Chicago. I'm going to end up giving too many details that they'll figure out who this is. <laughs> I've never, I've never told her this. So we'll <laughs> I see. Hope she's, I hope she's listening. And I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, are you single right now? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. But also it's like, I, I mean, we're friendly, but you know, when I, it's fine. This might be the moment. Is going. It? I don't think, I don't think that's true. But um, also I was like, what, 15? Like, anyways, uh, but uh, we're at the summer camp. And then I, I distinctly remember, I have a ter- terrible memory. But I have, I have like a, I have snapshots of my life that I remember, like you know, like a Polaroid picture where I specifically remember that moment. Nothing else I remember. So I remember being in an elevator, uh, and then I I was always like funny with my friends and stuff, but I didn't know it was funny. And then she just was like, "You're really funny," and then I was like, "Oh, okay, interesting." And then like the next week or so, I just like looked into like taking classes. <laughs> You you just Googled, you're really funny. (laughs) No, I Googled like comedy classes in Chicago or whatever. And then I started taking classes at the Second City. That's amazing. I love that. I love that very much. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Is there anything that... This is such a... This has nothing to do with anything. Is there anything you routinely Google if you're in a situation where you just need to Google something? Does this ever happen to you? Do you ever find yourself... You're bored. You're alone. And you just think, I need to Google something just to, like, pass the time. Does this ever happen to you? Um, I guess I've never thought about it like that, but I do frequently Google random things that I think of because I don't know what to do. Yeah. Right. Is is there anything that you go back to again and again, like a recurring thing? No, I don't like I don't Google the same thing over and over again because you would just get the same results. I'm asking this. This is, this is a bunch of leading questions. I was like, out. I feel like you're trying, trying to, to tell me how, something. I feel like I'm trying to figure out how weird I am. It's a, uh, this is something that, I don't know if you, sometimes I've, I've like almost come to and realize I've been Googling something. It's a, it's a thing I've Googled only when I'm alone and bored. And I don't know what I mean by it, but it, this is what I've Googled multiple times. Are dogs people? We don't know. Why? <laughs> and you just keep hoping there'll be like a new answer. I, I just keep hoping that, yeah, exactly. And also, that's not even a very fruitful... So few people have asked that question that it doesn't... Really? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've never done that. I mean, I usually will just be like, oh, like, um, people are talking about the Yellow Jackets, that show. Yep. I've watched two episodes of it. Very I good. can't watch it because it's too scary. I know that because of the opening scene. Oh, yeah. Because somebody yeah. told me, like, oh, God, watch this show. And I said... Nope. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Nope. Yeah, it, they, 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 they let you know what the show's about immediately. But, but I did Google the plot. Oh, yeah. I, I will do that sometimes. I'll Google. Uh, if I get too invested in a show, um, I will Google the spoilers. So then I can stop watching. Just relax. Show. So you can just yeah. relax. Yeah, Actually, so I t- <laughs> do you do the same thing? Yes. Sometimes it's like, man, I got to just fucking chill out, yo. I yeah. got to like just fucking relax. <laughs> I'll, I'll Google the like the ending of the show. Yeah, totally. still still watch the show. But like totally. now I'm like on my own terms. I don't feel like I have to like stay up all night to watch it. But the whole time I'm watching the show, I still think the spoiler is fake. Oh, so are so you're watching Yellow Jackets and you're, you're two episodes in. And how is that going so far? Is well, that, it, that one I hasn't I haven't because um, yeah. I don't have showtime and I just I haven't gotten that invested. But I was watching like 
for instance, White Lotus. Yep. And I got like halfway through it. And then I'm like, okay, just tell me what happened. So I Googled it. Then I continued watching the show, still thinking what I Googled was a lie. Yep. Can I, I think honestly, and maybe I'm wrong, but this sounds like a stress response to me. Because since you described White Lotus, it's a very anxiety-producing show. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you're halfway through and you're Googling, it causes me to wonder if what you're actually doing is attempting to calm yourself down. Because other, otherwise, we're living in a world of pain. Going yeah, I think, I think it's, yeah, I think I'm just trying not to be stressed when I'm watching entertainment. I'm like, just tell me what happens <laughs> at the end. So I feel like I have a safety net. And I'll still watch the show, like, kind of not knowing if it's real or not. <laughs> So beyond let's 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 circle back. Speaking of you, yeah. um, beyond recording your own album, what else is going on? I mean, I would love to act more. So that's what's going on is me trying to do that. How's that going? I'm auditioning some. I would love to audition more, and then I'm trying to take more classes. I think the whole the whole thing is I'm always just taking classes, you know? Comedy classes, acting classes, it's just cooking classes, who knows? Just constantly in class mode, hoping that I can make money. Or I like I like learning also. I will say, yes. It's not it's not really because I'm like trying to make money. I do like I like learning in a environment in which someone is teaching you things that they know that you don't know. Also, not everybody would seek help. I'm not a, I'm not always great at seeking help. I have a problem with um, self-sufficiency. Speaking of chilling out, that can be overdeveloped to a degree that's not actually helpful, you know? L- like like you're too self-sufficient? Yes. Yeah. Like, I would not have taken a stand-up class. I did take improv classes, but stand-up is, like, so personal that I don't think I could have actually, st- you know, I had, was very impressed always with the students that I had because it's a lot to show up and like say, you know, here's my like five minutes, you know, improv classes. It's like, here's my impression of a penguin, but stand up classes. It's like, here's my five minutes about my life that we're going to talk about, you know, and that's vulnerable. And vulnerability is always something that I need to work on because it's like not my inherent state. Me too. Um, And I have the opposite opinion. I feel like taking a class saves me from kind of the fear of doing it you know like at an open mic for the first time wow that's super interesting yeah yeah so you think you so vulnerability is not your jam as a no natch state yeah definitely not how long have you known that about you uh since i was born like i've never (gasps) but you had the awareness the whole time yeah yeah yeah. i've always been very like um because i'm an only child too and my parents were always working, so I kind of had to just do everything myself. Um, so I've always just been like, yeah, like I am independent and I feel uncomfortable asking people for help. And right. I don't need help because right. there would not be help anyways. So, right. you know, right. I just kind of figured it out, which is kind of why like, I like taking classes where I'm like, oh, like this is something that I can do to help me that I found. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What were your, what do your parents do that they were working? Um, They're both, uh, they were both like engineers, Mm. like computer science. Mm. Yeah. So when you were a kid, was it like uh, coming home from school, setting up your cereal and and getting your homework done by yourself sort of a vibe? Um, No, my, my grandparents actually lived with us. Um, mm. when I was younger, so they would cook for me, which was very nice. So I wasn't like alone when I was home. Also, I think I was like, what, five? Like, you can't be by, <laughs> by yourself. <laughs> you know? sure. uh, so they, they would be like home and, you know, make food for me. And I'd, uh, um, I would do my homework diligently every day and I would play basketball. That was my whole thing. My whole identity as a child was oh, playing basketball. I think I do remember this about you. Yeah. I think I uh, might have done a joke about it um, yeah. when I first started, but I haven't yeah. talked about it since. Yeah, you're you're a big basketball player. What what position did you play? Point guard, obviously. Of course. I don't know why I even asked. <laughs> it would be that or like a shooting guard, you know? No, but somebody who doesn't like vulnerability, that person would be a point guard. Fair enough. I never thought about it like that. Wow. How and and 
how long did you play? Um, I played through middle school. And then what happened after that? And then freshman year of high school, I there's two days of tryouts. I went to the first day of tryouts and then I just didn't go to the second day of tryouts. And I don't I'm still not entirely sure why I didn't go. Because everyone who went, like, made the team, I suppose. Yeah. What had the first day been like? Um, it was just really, uh, it, w- it was tiring. Because, like, you know, most sports, you, you practice at, like, what, five in the morning, six in the morning? I'm not a morning person at all. And it was just way more competitive than I thought it was going to be. Because, like, I think we had had a decent basketball program. You know, if I went to, like, a different high school, I probably could have played. But for this, I would probably would be on the bench more, you know? And you didn't want to do that? No, I, 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 if I'm going to do something, I would like to be fairly successful at it or feel like I'm one of the better people. And to be mediocre, I think, was just not good enough. Wow, that's interesting. So I quit. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely played a lot of sports in high school that I was um, fine, but it was like more, it was, I was known for my heart, not necessarily my uh, skills, but like was like, you know, captain or, or like a visible person. I think I was funny. <laughs> and <laughs> so then they were like, make this person the captain. Kind of, sometimes, you know, because you yeah. gotta have like the captain who's good. And then, you know, there's like two captains. There's like the good <laughs> captain. And then the captain who's like... The fun captain? The fun captain. Yeah. I didn't have that thing that you're talking about. Um, but I think I felt... I don't think I would have given myself permission to quit something. Because I just thought you were supposed to do everything. I mean, that's um, kind of how I feel about comedy sometimes, though. Which is why I'm always like... in the. I'm always like, oh, should I quit or not? I mean, I don't think I'm going to. But it, I have that fear where I'm like don't think I'll be good enough. You know? Yeah. I also have that fear. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is good enough? I mean, of course, it's obviously arbitrary, but... No, but does it mean something to you? Like, is there, like, a thing to you that that would would mean that? Um, I don't know what the marker would be like from, like, if I did this, I would be good enough. I don't think there is one, but I would like to, you know... Anything that I do, I would like to be one of the best people to have ever done that thing. And so, I think that's hard with comedy. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely no expectations. You know, of course, I'm the only one left in my family line. Um, you know, no no pressure at all. <laughs> I have to provide for uh, my mom and uh, my grandparents. No big deal, you know. <laughs> no pressure at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're this young person, you're starting doing stand-up, like, without knowing you want to do it as a job, you're starting to get paid for it, you're eventually moved to L.A. Um, how how did you find other people received you during that time? Well, because, you know, I started doing stand-up in Chicago mm-hmm. a little bit, but I never felt like I fit in, I guess, because I, I feel like at the time it was a lot of um, white people doing stand-up. It was. Or, like, there weren't that many Asian comedians, to be honest. I mean, I will just say it was a lot of white people. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like affirmed. I mean, also... Like, a lot. Yes. I mean, also, there... I mean, in Chicago, there's at least... I don't know if this is as true, because Jokes and Notes was Mm -hmm. going to eventually close more during your era, but, like, Mm -hmm. during my era, there was a whole separate scene on the south side that was black comics then the north side was like almost all white comics Mm -hmm. and then anybody who is not black or white there isn't there wasn't really a i mean first of all it's like wild that there was like a segregated comedy right and then on top of that anybody who wasn't either of those two things i think mostly well i think had to pick honestly i think often had to pick whether they wanted to be playing which of those rooms 
Um, right. So I ended up doing stuff more on the north side, I guess, with the quote unquote white comics. But yeah. it, it it just felt like also I was like pretty young. So I just felt like I had different life experiences than everyone else. And I'm not I'm not a I don't drink. I'm not like a partier. So it's it's kind of hard to get in doing comedy when you're not hanging out and stuff. Certainly in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think that, I think that like then moving to L.A., um, I mean, there's that still exists in L.A., but like in Chicago, the hang is a bigger part of it in my in my For experience. Sure. You know, it's like a, sure. that's like the whole vibe is like if you're not going to the bar after the thing, then you basically weren't even at the thing. And especially yeah. if you were starting when you were 19. That's, well, that's when I was 19, I couldn't go to any of the bars anyways. Yeah. And I, did, I didn't have a fake because I'm not cool. Also, like, come on. Yeah, I know. You're, I'm you're just like saying. supposed to be. You're supposed to be like in college with like a fake ID, like going yeah. out after your stand-up show. I mean, that's like, I don't know who that person is, but I don't think it's you, and it's yeah. definitely not me. Oh no, I'm not saying going. I'm just saying I couldn't even do a lot of the shows because right, right. they were in bars. Oh right, right. I didn't have a fake. Right. Yes, of course. I'm yes. saying this from a, a, from a, a work studious point of view. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm trying to like party after. I'm just saying Got I it. can't even do the thing to make me better at stand-up. Did you feel like other people talked or ever acknowledged the whiteness of the... I I will say, when I was there, I do not feel like people talked about it, like talked about the whiteness of the North Side scene. So I just didn't know if that also could have added to this experience. I mean, I I never really felt like anyone talked about it when I was there. Um, But then I ended up moving to San Francisco anyways, or to Berkeley. So I did more stand up there and that I, I felt better just because it's it's a uh, it's way more diverse there. At least the comics that were there you just kind of had like everything. Right. And then I felt more like, oh, I could just do whatever, you know, and I got to start over because it's like I grew up in Chicago or the suburbs. I guess I just felt like I wanted to start from nothing. Yeah, I forgot you moved to San Francisco. Um, of course, of course, that's where your home club is in. When you were when you got to San Francisco and you said everybody was you know every every type of person in the scene, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what the vibe is there though. Like I've played there many times, but I don't know what the vibe is. You know, if in LA a lot of people are like, you know, in Chicago it's like this grind and like drinking and like white dudes and that's kind of the vibe. Yeah. Um, in LA it's a lot of like people who are taking stand-up seriously and then actors who are trying to do stand-up, you know, um, mm-hmm. so everybody kind of goes to bed early and leaves the show immediately after they're done. I mean, I kind of love that though. I'm Me like, too. Oh, I can leave right after my set. <laughs> oh, my it's <laughs> yeah. like almost cooler if you're like, I have to leave and you don't even have to go to another show. You can just go home. That's what I do. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last night I was like, I'm going, I have to leave right after. And they're like, where are you going? I was like, to my bed. Like, I'm not staying. In San Francisco, I feel like it's like changed because I I always never feel like I fit in anywhere, to be honest. But when I got there, it was um, it was kind of more uh, like it did. You ever done Cinecave? It was like, yeah, it was like under a video store, a little basement. That was like kind of the vibe. I think when I started in San Francisco was a lot of like indie shows. Yeah. In places where you didn't even know where the show was. They were free or five dollars or very cheap to get into. And yeah, like if you knew where the show was, like you were cool, you know. That was a whole stand-up era that I feel like has it still exists, but it's like less the thing. I mean, certainly in the pandemic, it's less the thing, but even a couple years before that, I felt like people were sort of shifting a little bit more back to clubs or theaters, theaters totally. being the thing that people po- that popped up a lot. But before that, there was like a whole phase where it was like, no, it's like at this bar, but then you go on the stage and it's like there's a drum kit and it's like the show's like in the drum kit. Like that's like, I just, it, everything was like so complicated yeah. and insane and small. And that was actually a really amazing time to do stand up. I don't know that that will ever exist again. That was yeah. a really beautiful time. It was also fun because it's like, of course, you always want people to show up at the show, but they're also like, we don't really care if the show's sold out or not. Yeah. You know? Like that yeah, was the vibe. Very laid back, very intimate, very like, very cool. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, I mean, maybe that will be what emerges post pandemic. I don't know, but I think, I, I don't think so. 
I don't think so because I, I think don't that's not like think for a while because also it's just like because of the pandemic nobody was working so now everyone's trying to make money again. Plus, everybody can just like be on the internet at their house. So yeah, well, and you know, the Zoom same comedy thing. Yeah, so I feel like a lot of those, a lot of the people that would go to those shows like move to like online yeah. stuff. Yeah, and then now like in San Francisco, it's like a lot of shows that are marketed very well there's a lot of comedians that are also in tech yeah so it it used to be like you know you did comedy and everyone was pretty poor unless you were famous right and now it's like people are like actually i would say rich in a way like you're doing like people stand-up comedians are starting they're brand new and they're also like could buy a house (laughs) okay Wow. Like a lot of them where I'm like, oh, this is weird. Wow. That's so wild. You know, I want to go back to something that you just said before, you know, we move into maybe like, so you just said, I never really fit, feel like I fit in anywhere. Just, yeah. Will you talk to me a little bit about that for a second? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I truly feel like I will never feel a hundred percent that I fit in to something because it's like part of my personality like i feel uncomfortable feeling comfortable if that makes sense um like i'm asian right but i've never felt like that asian like i can speak mandarin i'm like close to my family like i eat a lot of traditional like chinese foods but like when i went to when i went to berkeley because i had transferred um I joined like a couple like the Asian groups on campus and then I was like, oh, but I'm not like this type of Asian because it's like I didn't grow up like they did, you know? So then I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not like that Asian. Like I I, I didn't really have boba till I went to college. You know, it's like I would consider them like boba Asians where you would like (laughs) you would hang out around boba. I don't mean that as a bad thing. I just was like that wasn't part of me growing up like I didn't go to Chinatown. Like, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. It's like a lot of my friends were white. So, and then, it, you know, I'm gay, but I also feel like I never go to gay things. I don't know. Why is that? Um, I, well, I, I, I don't drink and I don't drink and party. So I feel like I'm not like a party gay person, if that makes sense. And, uh, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of times, like, uh there are queer people who i feel are more queer than me and that i'm just like a boring person <laughs> not not even in a bad way like i've accepted this i'm kind of just like a boring like you tell know. me more what you mean about that like like who would what would be an indication that somebody's more gay than you i don't even know if they'd be like i don't think i'm like i i just feel like i don't fit into queer culture a lot of the time if that makes, I just feel like I don't like to do things based around identity because I just never feel like that's that big of a part of me. If that well, that's interesting. Sure. I mean, like, like I'm gay, but like at this point, like I don't care anymore. <laughs> I Does that make you. sense? Sure. I mean, I think, I don't know. I'm not, maybe this is not your experience. So obviously feel free to, yeah. you know, speak up, but like, yeah, when you're talking about growing up, you know, being in community obviously matters a lot to how one feels about like what culture somebody's in. So even if you are an Asian person, if you're surrounded by white people, then you're like an Asian person in white culture, you know. And I, mean, right. I, I don't have to explain this to you. Right, right. You're you're the person that lived it. But I will just say that I think also a lot of times the dominant queer culture in many of the cities I've lived in is white. Yeah. Um, or I mean, there's, it might be that, you know, or yeah. there's like a separate like black queer culture often. Mm-hmm. But like in terms of being, I don't totally see the like the moment. And and it, again, it's not like you can't like relate to people. You're not like some, you're yeah. not like some, you're not like some socially inept or like, oh, yeah, like yeah, there's yeah, nothing yeah, wrong course, with you. Of course, of but course. it just, if if you're like the person who's not, have it carrying multiple identities that other people don't carry. Right. That's just like a automatically a, a different position than the people who don't have that going on. Right. I, I think, yeah, I think it's like that where it's like, oh, if I hang out with like a lot of Asian people, like they might not be gay, so they don't get that. Right. So then right. if I hang out with a lot of gay people, they may not be Asian, so they don't get that either. 
But then it's like when I was in college, like in in Berkeley, there's there's a lot of like people that are like queer and Asian. So I was like, oh, like these are my people. Right. So I went to a couple like those meetings. And then I was like, oh, I still don't necessarily feel like I fit in here because we just have different interests. Totally. Right. Because, again, it's like it's like as you're trying to find people that have the different overlapping things, then we are all just also uh, distinct people. And it's a it's a smaller uh, pool to pick from. So then it's like, oh, I would never feel like I fit in until like I meet people that have the exact same interests as me, but also identify as me. And that's like going to be so few people, you know. So it's like, oh, at some it's like, oh, I'll go to some some events where I'm like, oh, with other Asian people, I'm like, oh, like this is cool. But it's I never feel like I fully fit in. You know what I mean? Um, actually, I mean, I, I, I kind of do, you know, um, I know it's not exactly the same, but like, I do feel like I have had very few experiences in my life where I felt like somebody else was like me. I just, I find it very difficult to be honest. I also am okay. Yeah. I'm a healthy, moderately happy person. (laughs) Um, but yeah. Yeah. It also is tough. Yeah. Like I'm I'm also OK. I just feel like a lot of times people will be like, oh, like this is my community or, you know, this is my community. And then I just never feel the same way about it as maybe other people that are like, oh, like I'm part of this community. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like kind of a part of it. But it just. Yeah. I actually know what you mean. Yeah. Also, it's like tough because then they expect things from you. Like, I feel like I have to represent like all Asian people doing comedy or gay people or whatever. And that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure, you know, because not everyone's going to like what you do. And you feel like, oh, if you mess up, like everyone's going to hate you. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, this is like a lot to say on the podcast, but I think I might just say it anyway. You know, the end of my first marriage one of the most devastating things beyond just like losing somebody that I loved was that I felt like I was losing somebody that I felt like I had a lot of commonality with. And that had been such an unusual experience for me that it really was extra devastating for that. Like, I think that was, you know, there were a zillion reasons that that divorce can be devastating or that the end of any relationship can be devastating. But that was a part of it, is that, like, I felt like there was a person who I could talk to about some of my experiences that, and I hadn't had that before, even though I had had partners that I really cared about. I just hadn't had that feeling before. And, um, and I also don't have it now. Like, and I'm, and I'm in a great relationship and I really, um, am so happy and it works and, you know, I'm in something that really works for me. Um, but I do think that, like, for me as a queer person with, like, some gender fuckage stuff going on and a lot of the way I've been perceived through my life, you know, it really has mattered to me to feel like I'm the only one. And I just have felt that way many times. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did you expect we were going to end in a, with deep sobbing? <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like, well, if this podcast goes on 15 minutes longer we we may be crying <laughs> <laughs> it's intense yeah yeah the stuff we're talking about is intense yeah i also feel like i want to clarify and say that i i didn't say that i'm not asian or not gay in like a bad way because i feel like it may have come across that way i don't think it did okay i mean but obviously you can you know yeah well, I, I just or... I didn't want it to be like a negative connotation. I just feel like I don't fit into those communities sometimes. So I just want anyone who's listening to know that. Yeah. Well, just some, and you can continue to think about it, but and how you feel about what you said. But I will just say, as a, an outsider that was listening, I mm-hmm. felt very with you, and very it was very clear to me that you were not like disparaging any um, anybody, but just talking about your own experience. Yeah. And I actually, like, so appreciate your honesty. This is, like, such a tender and, like, very cool conversation. I really appreciate it. I hope uh, I hope other people can also feel like they also don't fit in and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I well, I will say this. You know, the number of times 
like I, one thing I am really gifted with because of the job that we both have is like the opportunity to sort of like look in people's eyes and it's like, you know, it'll be like this moment after a show and there's like a bunch of people around. It's not like I can like get somebody's full life story. Even if they say it to me, my brain is like altered by the chemicals of stand-up comedy. So I'm not like totally present, but like, I know when I look at, you know, I know, I like know that this is a thing, this thing that we're talking about. Like, I mm-hmm. just feel like I see it on other people, you know? And I, yeah. and I, and I'm like married to somebody who talks to me about this, you know, who's like, I feel like I'm the only one of these. And I'm like, I feel like I'm the only one of these, you know, I feel like I, this experience, I think is not, it's not you and my, it's not your, and my experience. It's not your experience. I think there's a lot of people that can relate to this. Yeah. I will say also, I feel like you're also very gifted at getting me to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fuck around, yo. Yeah. <laughs> I bring the heat. <laughs> I was like, I feel like when I knew you when I was 19, I think I also cried. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I still know you. Yeah. And I, I don't mean cry in a bad way, because I think I would. I'd, uh, I don't think I'd come out yet or I'd just come out or something. And then we had like, yeah, about or something. Yeah. You're always, it's always, it's always you getting me to cry, Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm really glad I still know you. And I'm so, I'm just so happy to see everything that you do. This means a lot to me to like get to watch you. Thank you. So I'm I'm really glad that you're still also in my life and not just like, oh, I taught this class and bye. No, it's yeah. Yeah. I I see all the work you're putting in and it's, it's fucking cool, man. Um, Okay, well, before we head back into our uh, pillows to sob, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I just, uh, I wanted to ask you if you wanted to shout out a queero, which is like a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you could be who you are today. Oh, really putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> can I say you? Yeah, you can say me. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, wow. I'll say you. Fuck. Okay. I mean, I already named Ellen earlier. You yeah, know, she's Ellen, famous. She doesn't. She, she yeah. is a billionaire. She doesn't need this. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Ellen's never made me cry. Yet. <laughs> There's always yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> um, Irene, it was awesome to talk to you. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, and I'll see you at the next show. Yep. <laughs> 